Hello, and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 199. John and Wendy ask us anything again, again, again. (laughs) I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you, John? Wendy, I'm with you celebrating 199 episodes, numbered episodes, that is. Right, right. Of this thing that we've done, so I could not be better. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. Still hard to believe we've done this many episodes, and it's nice that we still want to do it and that people still want to listen. I think that's where I'm at, is that there's still folks chiming in, tuning in, and we get new listeners all the time. It is a wonderful thing, and it has continued to be fun for us. So here we are. We always like to celebrate before a big number. Yep. We hadn't done a one-on-one in about six months, I guess. I think 174 was the last one that we did. So it was time. Yeah. Not only is it catching up and some questions, but we want to review the year that was 2021 for us as individuals for the podcast, for the community at large. And Wendy, I think... We've continued to be in the strange thing of the pandemic, you know, even now. I don't know about you. I don't think when we got to the end of 20 did I think we'd have a whole nother year of this business. Oh, gosh, no. Mm -mm. We've made the best of it. I think we've had some really, really great things happen. We've had some challenges, and but we have things to look forward to for next year as well. We do. Um, You know, this is where we'll start putting stuff out to the universe and um, let the universe provide as uh, as it has. But yeah, you know, it was uh, 21 was not what we expected, not what we planned for. We were hoping for some in-person stuff. Didn't happen. Here's hoping 22 brings some in-person events, get-togethers, all of that. But we did keep plenty busy. It's not like we were coasting. That is the truth. Well beyond the shows, well beyond our jobs. We wanted to talk briefly about kind of what we did individually and I'll start with thanking Paycor for the opportunity to do the Ask the Expert series. I'm still not sure who the expert is, <laughs> but I have so much fun working with that entire team and enjoy having those conversations with people in the manufacturing and construction industry about what we're dealing with. So those have been tremendous fun to do this year. Great to reconnect with Jason Troy and do HR Now. <laughs> and I do that because it had an exclamation point in the conference title. Uh, a lot of fun to catch up again with Jason and yeah. talk about all these things that have been going on during COVID with that group. I don't want to say it was the capper, but it was certainly the most unique event. Yeah. And I will continue to talk about it and tell everybody that wants to hear about it. JobCon 2021, hands down, Wendy, still the craziest thing I've ever done. For those of you that are not aware, I spoke at a virtual reality job fair. And that's not a webinar like virtual, like, oh, it's a virtual event. No, 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 folks. Virtual reality in an environment where I had an avatar. It was incredibly educational. It had some real challenge, unique challenges, especially to learn how to operate in these space. But I'm going to tell you, Wendy, I told him I'd do it again. It was some of the most fun I've ever had. And again, I can say I spoke at a virtual reality conference (laughs) with an avatar. Just in case anybody wants to know, no photography, no pictures, no video, no nothing of me in the Oculus with the joysticks and everything that else would have in, been my, in my living room doing my in thing. My mind. Perfection in my mind. I, I, you know, I don't know uh, how you expect me to top any of that. <laughs> no, but you no, had a great year. You had a lot of good had, things going. I did a great year. Um, a few things to, that I wanted to mention. Um, I did a recruity masterclass on recruitment 
onboarding, um, getting folks in the door, taking care of some of those black holes that are in everybody's um, selection process. That was a lot of fun. Put together a workbook with them and did uh, two hours with folks from around the world. That was a whole lot of fun. I appreciate Rikuti for inviting me. And then I did a similar um, session for with our friend uh, Vadim and uh, ERE Digital in the spring. So that was a lot of fun as well. And then had one in-person event. I did go to the South Dakota State SHRM Conference, did a similar presentation. I enjoyed putting this one together and I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It took some time, but we did have an opportunity to do something together, yes, which we was did. great. We do want to thank Carolyn Vernon and the folks yes, at you, Carolyn. inviting us over to talk. Yep. Great resignation, reset, improvement, fill in the blank. Right. <laughs> all the different things we've called it. It was great to have those conversations with yeah. you and, and with that group. We also did a couple really fun podcasts mm-hmm. that as this show comes out in late December, those shows have just dropped recently. The first one being with Chris Taylor over at Oven Ready in the yeah. UK. That was awesome. People, I keep telling you, we know really amazing people and Oven Ready the content is so great, and it's not just UK-based. Please give him a listen. And then we did what I would consider the least HR conversation podcast we've ever done. Oh, the yeah. most fun and the most I've ever cried in, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Julie got us both being able to celebrate her second anniversary with her, um, surprising us with that. That was awesome. Julie will do it for you a hundred times over because love what she's doing. Love what she's putting out there. And again, international sensing a theme here, John. Indeed. Indeed. And for those of you that don't listen to Julie, that is the HR sound off podcast. I'm going to put links in the show notes to both those episodes. I hope you'll listen to them because we get to talk about a lot of things. We always like to say where you can get a package deal or get us individually, but we talk different topics with these folks particularly with Julie. Yeah, I never thought we'd get 20 minutes to talk about Marvel comics and movies. And (laughs) it's not a pop culture show, but that's what we're talking about. And we're not trying to apply it to our jobs, which is even better. It was just for fun. Well, you know, John, one of the podcasts uh, that we have to mention is we did two crossovers with Mike Sipple Jr. on Talent Magnet Institute. He and I interviewed Katrina. We flopped and you and Mike got to interview Minda Hartz. That was a lot of fun too. That crossover was fun. I want to thank Chad Sowash for that recommendation to do the crossovers. I've been fortunate to spend some time with Chad and talk podcasting. I really appreciate what Chad and Cheese are doing as far as that show and the content that they share. We talked one time and he's like, hey, man, you ought to think about this. And of course, we've gotten to know Mike really well. We think the world of Mike and we knew he'd be the perfect person to start that with. We look forward to doing more of those down the road Mm -hmm. with others. You never know. (laughs) We've got some things in the works, the crossover shows, the international shows, more and more stuff to have out in the world, Wendy, which is never a bad thing. No, there's plenty of room, plenty of room. Let's talk chats for a few minutes, because if it wasn't for the chat, we wouldn't be here to begin with. Nope. We say that all the time and love the chat. They've really grown a lot and they're getting more challenging to come up with topics and questions. So we appreciate the co-hosts, the folks that have stepped up in 21 to come up with ideas and to come up with questions for us. So we had a lot of people step up with thoughts. So first off, I'm going to say, encourage you to DM us, contact us if you have ideas for chats in 22. Let us know. We are open. 
We try to not get too serious, obviously, but we are open to your ideas because we want to talk about what you want to talk about. First off, we want to thank Steve Brown two times this year co-hosted with us. We had an opportunity to partner with our pals at Bonusly again, tied into Employee Appreciation Day. For those of you that may not be aware, Ben Travis, who was our point of contact at Bonusly, has left the organization and is traveling the world. So I've not (laughs) talked to Ben in some time. I know he still listens ever so often. So Ben, if you're listening, I hope you're safe out there. Would love to hear about these adventures you're having down the road. We continue to stay in touch with Bonusly, but we do want to thank Ben for all of his support yes. and, and wish him the experience of a lifetime because I know he was really excited to be able to do those things. I've been following him on, on Instagram to see some of those awesome posts. So if you're on Instagram, look for him. You know, all the folks that stepped up like Melanie Hellman, Tom Daniels, Claire Petrie, Heidi Pancake, People Element, Paul Alone, Louis Lessig, Sam Genegas, Christy Engler, Carolyn Vernon, the Talent Magnet Institute, Tom Horn, and uh, the last one of 2021, McCall Garati and Corey Kapner, then HR for All, HR Social Hour crossover chat. We have all of those wakelets up, so you can go find them, revisit the chat, jump in. It's never too late. <laughs> we'll always say that. And it's kind of fun to see chats from the past. Topics pop up every once in a while. Lots and lots of great stuff out there. I do want to say one thing as we look at that list of co-hosts, the different topics, as you said, Wendy, it's it's challenging. But if you think about it, Heidi wanted to talk about compensation and nobody would ever asked us about compensation. Yeah. Uh, So that was amazing. Paul Alone, who is the most philosophical of HR people (laughs) I know, we had probably the most challenging chat I think we've had with what he came with, but it was great because it makes you think in a different way. And then with Lewis doing a legal conversation, we always enjoy those. Christy with small business. And then Tom Horn at the end of the year, like, hey, why don't we do a icebreaker or the you know, middle school dance chat? I do want to thank everybody for taking part, bringing such different ideas. The feedback we get, or at least I get, Wendy, I don't know about you, I get so much positive feedback from people behind the scenes and with notes and thanking us for not only just holding these chats, but the topics and the the conversation that it generates well beyond that Sunday evening U.S. time or in the future for our friend Mandy Johnson in Australia. It's tremendous learning and, again, the conversations to think that we've done now 70 of these. That's a lot of chats. It's amazing. It is. It's <laughs> it, amazing. It, it's awesome. And it goes back to, though, that community keeps coming. People keep coming and we... Yeah. We keep having those conversations and they want to have them. We're going to keep it in 20. <laughs> we keep it. And, and, yeah. and, and we'll, we'll say this. I can remember when I approached you and said, hey, why don't we double up? I could see it in your face because we were using video by that point. I know you were thinking, what is this guy? Th- well, he's crazy. I, I did what, because I was like, that's a lot of chats. <laughs> that's a lot of questions for us to come up with. That's a lot of Sunday night that we've given up um, or at least part of the evening for the chat. But with that third chair, with inviting a co-host, it has it has made it much better. I have to admit, I still do the chat from my phone. That is where I'm most comfortable on. I'm amazed. I couldn't do it. <laughs> the downside is, though, when Twitter decides to act up, and there was one chat where it would not refresh for me. I could not find the chat. I couldn't get on it. I'm texting John going, I don't know what's happening. I'm trying to get my computer booted up so I could jump on the chat. Which, again, is why we wait to do the recap so that you can join us when you can. So you will often see me 
Monday mornings, jumping back in and answering some questions because we know the chat goes fast and furious. We know there's a lot of stuff and a lot of side conversations going on. So don't stop those. Just know you can come back to it. As we've always said, we don't own the tag. But if you're going to respond, we would ask you to use the tag because it helps (laughs) us to track after the fact. Most of you know, I'm off watching wrestling most nights, most Sunday nights, chat's tied to something. Eight o'clock comes, eight o'clock Eastern, 8.01, I'm off. Those that are co-hosts have learned it is mental gymnastics, particularly when you have several hundred, five, six, seven hundred tweets going out in an hour. It's a lot. (laughs) lot. Let's say we did it times seven. We averaged even at 400 chats. Yeah. 400 tweets an hour, 70 chats. You start doing the numbers. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. I know Mike Sipple Jr. was having his own personal contest with Steve Brown to see who could get the most tweets in an hour. <laughs> I don't have it pulled up, so I can't say which one was the most, but I'm pretty sure it was one of Steve's that, uh, or actually it may have been Melanie Peacock when she co-hosted once, got a lot of tweets. Steve and Melanie were within less than 10, I think, yeah. if I recall. it was. It's the closest anybody's, <laughs> it's the yeah. closest we've had. Crazy. Enough about chats. We said it in the open. It is truly ask us anything. Yeah, I did not disappoint. <laughs> no, they, no, you did not. We do want to say a couple things up front. We did not answer every question from every person. Some of the questions we combined. If you ask several questions and we felt like we could put it into something and package it a little tighter, it helps with our flow. If your question is not read verbatim, do not be offended. We wanted to make it a little easier for us. Without further ado, Wendy, we're going to start with Christopher McQuaid. Awesome. Who said, how can we attract and retain employees right now? And are flexible work hours a way to do that? Well, answering the second question or second half first, yes. If you have the ability to do that, knowing that not every workplace can have flexible work hours, but there are ways to make it work. I know a manufacturing company here in Brookings that is pretty much write your own schedule. You agree to work X number of hours per week and they work with you on how to do that. So if you need to pick your kid up from school or take your kid to school, you can work your schedule around that. So I think that there are ways to be creative with scheduling folks. I think that's one cool thing that's come from the pandemic is people are thinking about that differently. And so having said that, What a great way to attract and retain your employees by making the work hours work for them and understanding that work-life balance, work-life integration, whatever you want to call it, people have lives outside of the office and we can't shut it off when you close the door walking in. I think that's a great way to bring people in and letting them know you need to take, even if you're hourly, there are ways to make that work. What do you think? I would agree in many cases. In my industry, it would be a real challenge to do that in the field. In some places, you can't. If you have the ability to do so, I think you should certainly consider it. I think you have to make sure, though, it's something that every level of management is on board for. Yep. I worked in an organization previously where we had a flex schedule. We called it flex nines, and we worked four nines and an eight. And then the next week, you'd work four nines, and so you were off every other Friday. That was great. I got 26 extra days off a year. It was great, and people really liked it. But there were certain people in leadership that didn't. And when those people got to a certain level, they started removing that. And all of a sudden, you couldn't do flex nines. And that upset a lot of people. If you've done it, and I did it for several years. I don't know. I was there eight or nine years, and I probably did it for six or seven. And all of a sudden, if you're doing it for years and years and years, and you pull that, well, 
why? If I'm being productive, the work is getting done. Why does it not work that way? You want to make sure you have buy-in and you got everybody on board. In terms of that attraction and retaining, make sure that whatever it is you're selling to a candidate, you're delivering it when you do it. Yeah. Right now, particularly if you are simply just throwing spaghetti at the wall, <laughs> it's not going to work. No. And you're going to have higher turnover and a lot of a lot more pain. And that's not just for recruiters. It's for everybody. We obviously have a different perspective because so much of what we do is on that front end, but all the pieces and parts. Think about from the back end, when you have to set up payroll and you have to do all these things, and then people yeah. work a week and quit, it sucks. As you're working on those plans, really consider you want to be telling the story as accurately as you can, warts and all. You can find ways to spin it to be more positive, but don't sell something you're not. Just right. don't. That's what gets you in trouble every time. If you're going to tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. I cannot tell you how much trouble people get in Wendy, if I talk up training to you and keep telling you I'm going to send you a training, we're going to do training, we're going to do training. I had a really interesting conversation with, with a friend of mine who went to a, a new job, been in sales for a long, long time in his career, but he went to sell something he had not sold before. And he was told, you've got the sales skills, the people skills, we're going to teach you the technical piece. He's been there a year and you want to know how much time they spent with him teaching the technical? Zero. Maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> he had a meeting with some higher level people where they, uh, they started laying out stuff and he raised his hand. He said, you know, I was told I was going to be taught this and this is what I don't understand here. <laughs> don't do that. No. Don't do that because guess what? Great salespeople can go find something else. They can go sell another widget somewhere else because you didn't teach them about the widgets they're trying to sell. Well, and I think that's key for every position right now. Absolutely. 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 I don't like what I'm doing here. I can go work at McDonald's and make $16, $17 an hour and not have the same headache that I might have in, in a different job. So, you know, people are willing to walk. You need to be clear and you need to say what you mean and mean what you say, because they'll find out and they'll be gone. It's going to continue to be an interesting puzzle to put together recognizing that we're only talking about pieces and parts of what we right. know. We know every industry has its own challenges, but you know what? What we always hear from everybody we talk to at the end of the day, it's pretty much the same stuff. Oh, yeah. And that is overselling, underdelivering. To your point earlier, if you're able to offer those flex schedules, offer them, make sure everybody agrees with them and that people don't down them. Because again, right. if you get a situation like I had where I had we had upper level management that didn't like it and was very clear about it, that's not a good signal. If you hold that opinion, keep it to yourself. And I think the other thing too, if you can and choose not to, and this, this would go for flex scheduling, this would go for remote work, this would go for any of those new things, and you don't want to, that's fine. But I think you need to have a better explanation for staff than we just don't want to do it or the buzzwords that we're seeing, you know, collaboration or whatever is better. Have a good solid reason for saying you have to be here between these hours on these days, or you have to be in an office to do the work. For me, if you told me I had to go into, you have to come into the office, I'm like, I'm going to drive 45 minutes to go sit on Skype calls. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Make it make sense. <laughs> Walt Sellers has our next question. How has the role of HR changed through the pandemic? I want to thank Walt for submitting a question. I believe he is one of the students that Gene Hobbs Okay, had to take awesome. part in the chats. He had tagged his question with the tag for that class. Walt, I hope you'll go back and listen to some of our other podcasts with people throughout this pandemic. I think the role has changed in many ways, according to who you are and what you were doing already. 
In my case, I did a lot more when it came to the health side of things, compliance piece and following state rules and putting together plans and processes and podcasts about hand sanitizer, things that I didn't necessarily (laughs) think I'd ever be doing. In many cases, it became more about that piece. You know, a lot of companies don't think about safety. You know, if you work in an office, 10 foot ceilings, air condition, you don't really think about things necessarily sometimes. And so you had to with this little nasty thing that was floating around and making people ill in a way we hadn't seen. The work from home and the flexible scheduling and all these creative ways that people have come up with to get work done, it definitely affected, sometimes negatively, because you saw an uptick in bad behavior that peers of ours had to address. Yeah. Everybody's roles changed. It wasn't just HR. You think about all the work IT people had to do and accounting and all, you know, everybody was affected, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the not so great, not so great things. It's definitely changed and I don't see it changing back. I think no. some of the things that we were able to institute and start doing, I'd like to see us continue to do. I think it's so dependent on role, industry, how many people, you know, right. how it affected me, Wendy, is very different than how it affected you as a practitioner. Oh, yeah, exactly. But it certainly affected the industry. As much negative as came out of it, a lot more, I believe there's more positive in the long run we'll have. I would agree with that. I think the day-to-day of my job did not change. If anything, we got busier in talent acquisition <laughs> for healthcare. We did not, we, we moved people around. We slowed a few positions down, but most of our positions stayed open. And we have record number opening uh, of requisition openings right now. Like you said, depending on the industry, the biggest thing for us is where we did work. That was probably the biggest change, but otherwise, no. Like you said, I've seen the smaller organizations, their focus has changed a lot. One thing I've seen too, and that I hope continues is we're a little more people focused than process focused. Now that was starting way before the pandemic, but I do still hope that focus stays. If we focus more on the people, I think a lot of the bad stuff that we deal with will grow dimmer. We are working with people, so it's never going to go away completely. Mike Sipple Jr. asks, in the past year, we've all confronted challenging and emotional realizations and truths, realizations that we know need to change for a better, more loving world. What is the greatest realization you had that you hope changes for the better for all and never reverts? Work-life balance is a lie, and you can't leave your home life at the door. We have to allow our employees and our coworkers and our, our people to be full humans and understand that things come up and things happen, have some flexibility and grace in all of that. I love to see all the grace that's been given over the past few years, and I hope that that, that continues. Now, it's not a free-for-all. I'm not saying just let, let everything go nuts, but the more grace and the more flexibility you give to your employees they will give it back tenfold because the company will always win on that. But if you're giving me the flexibility to take my kids to work or take work, take my kids to school or leave early so I can go see an event or go pick them up or do something like that, I'm going to pay you back hundredfold in the work that I do. And most people are going to do that same thing. We always have. And I think now employers are realizing that that's mine. I think, and I realized it more last year, when we were doing a lot of stuff for the community for the every Sunday night for many, many months. I think the realization for me was that community 
we've always thought it was important, but I think we learned just how important it was Yeah, that many of our peers are departments of one or work in really small organizations. And the challenges they have were astronomically different from ours. Going back to Walt's question, HR changed so much for those people that had new laws that put in and monies that budgets and things that were instituted. I think just being there for your peers, being that listening ear just became that much more important and putting your arm around somebody and telling them that you're there. I can't necessarily give you all the answers, but you know, you're not in this alone. I said it multiple times, you know, we had an opportunity last year to do a lot of things too and talk to people. And I would just keep beating that drum to say, find that community. If it's not social hour, whatever it is, find it and stick with it. And as things improve and as people go back to work, there are people we don't hear from much anymore. And and that's disappointing. I'd love to stay connected, but I also understand life continues to move forward. I think it's that realization you need to really find those people, stick with them, people that you can be vulnerable with. Yep. That's been one of the greatest realizations I've come to over the last bit of time. Terry Milford, was there a pivotal moment or event that confirmed your decision to make a career in human resources? No, (laughs) but I do remember when it clicked for me that I was probably going to do well as a recruiter or pretty well. I'd been recruiting for maybe, I don't know, at that point, nine or 10 months, not real long. I started out in temp ops and I was light industrial and staffing over into accounting placements. I was working for an agency here in Richmond and I helped a young person right out of college get a job with one of the big banks in town. And I helped them with their resume and I did several things. They got the job. They went there full time. And I don't know, like a month later, I get this phone call. This lady's on the phone and she introduced herself. She said, I met this person on a plane and I told him I was moving to Richmond and they said, you got to talk to this guy because he helped me with my resume. He helped me with my interview. He helped me get my first job at this big bank. That was my first referral, Wendy. I thought that was pretty damn amazing. And I ended up placing her somewhere. I don't know if that was pivotal, but it made me realize that, hey, I think I kind of know what I'm doing. (laughs) We all know I didn't plan to do this. Nope. It's a great question. And I appreciate Terry asking, but I can't think about, I don't have one where I said, oh, I know this is what I was going to do the rest of my life. But I did realize when that moment came that I got that call and it was, hey, so-and-so told me to call you because you helped them. That's when I was like, okay, maybe I do kind of understand this recruiting world. My answer is also no. You know, like you said, this was not where I was expecting to end up. This is not what I was doing. And I don't really have a moment that stands out. But I do remember when I first got started getting active in the next chat chats and realized that, hey, I do kind of know what I'm talking about. People are listening and um, responding to me like I do know what I'm talking about. And I worked for some, I didn't work for some great people who didn't really build me up in that way. And knowing that I knew what I was talking about told me to stay. The other pivotal piece uh, was probably right around, I don't remember the numbers. So when I knew that podcasting was going to be an option, for longer term than I, than expected was we had uh, Greg Hawks and uh, Tim Sackett. And I think we interviewed him in the same night. We hit a pretty big number and uh, you had to bleep me out when you said the episode number. And so that's about the time that I was like, Hey, this podcasting thing is uh, pretty cool and it's still going. I'm going to count that as the moment that I was like, okay, maybe this is not just something that's for fun. It is fun. It is fun. It's meaningful. And I, Enjoy what we do. I'm going to give you space next week, just so we're clear. (laughs) 
I may not even bleep it. We may put an adult sticker on this for the first time. Moving on, Mandy Wolf asks, what do you see as the most relevant issues facing the HR profession over the next three years? And not just because this is my bread and butter, but recruitment retention. I, I was I actually got to talk with uh, with our dear friend Laura from New York today, and she and I were talking about how we are finally seeing more and more organizations put focus on how important getting people in the right way the first time is. And that comes down to great recruitment, great onboarding, getting people in and through. I think that is going to continue to be relevant because I don't see this turning around as quickly as people might think it will, because that competition for the minimum wage, it'll slow down, but it's going to keep going up as long as we still have this shortage of workers. And John, as Generation X, we just didn't have enough babies. That's, that's why there's not enough people to do the work. There's not enough kids out there graduating high school. So this is not an issue that's going to go away anytime soon. I think beyond the talent retention piece, for me, it's really looking at the knowledge retention. You know, we always heard the stories about people staying with jobs or their, you know, staying with a company their entire career. If you have 20 years of foundational knowledge and fundamental knowledge of not only your job, but of an organization, it's significantly different than somebody that's been there two or three years. Let's face it, we know that some more experienced seasoned workers have a hard time giving that up, giving that foundational knowledge up for fear of losing their job or fear of, I just, I don't want to be obsolete. We're not going to get into generational talk because Steve Brown's not going to throat punch me anytime soon. (laughs) I think one of the big issues we're going to see, continue to see, is how do we transfer the knowledge to a workforce that also is not necessarily going to stay with you for 20 years? Right. I think we can all continue to put all, you know, we, the question earlier about attracting and training, we want to retain the right people. We want to we get the right people and retain them. But I don't think we can continue to think we're going to have them forever. No. It's just going to be different. How can we package knowledge or get people situated to where it's not going to be the five-year person that's going to have 20 years experience? I get it. But I see that knowledge retention, the organizational knowledge in many places that haven't thought about it, it's going to become more and more of an issue. You've seen more and more people retire. You know, my old company, they talked about the wave and the wave of retirement was supposed to happen in 2005 and then it right. didn't happen. People stayed and, and all of a sudden you had the challenges of 08, 09 and there. And then all of a sudden people retired a little bit. Now it's another wave of people, but you know what? People weren't hiring. So you don't have those Gen Xers of that mid-career type. Right. You either got super experienced or people on the beginning end of their careers. These are self-inflicted wounds, unfortunately. That's all and more I got to say about it. <laughs> the fundamental knowledge base, the business knowledge base yeah. is going to continue to be a challenge to how do you retain it for your organization and make sure it's transferred to the next person coming in. I think that's going to go back to just getting better about documentation about what you're doing. I will fully admit I'm bad about saying, I've got it in my head. Well, I could, you know, I could win the lottery. Or you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. I don't want you to. Or if you get hit yeah, by a bus. You know, yeah, absolutely. And all of that would be gone. Either way, I'm not coming back tomorrow. (laughs) Amber Sauer submitted a couple of questions, so we'll take these back and forth. John, what will be the most important areas of HR innovation in 2022? We've been fortunate to talk to a lot of people about the recognition piece. I think that's going to continue to be part of that retention is how do you recognize people in different ways And I think people are going to continue to try to be innovative in how they do that. 
we can always talk about tech and we can always talk about how people want it faster, faster, faster. But we also know we also always hear about the human touch. I'm going to say you can't have both. To some extent, you've got to figure out how do you balance it. I think the recognition piece, the personalization of recognition, you can get so much out of it. You don't have to be super techie or even super innovative to do it. Just do it. And you, I think you'll be surprised at how it turns out. Now, I'm going to agree with that, even though I think my most important area is related to tech, but it's using it better, using it to create opportunities for human touch that don't currently exist. I'm on the front end, so that's where I think of it. And, you know, we've got this big black hole in the selection process of you interview and then there's nothing. So how can we use tech to create opportunities to touch those potential employees more and faster in ways that don't feel manufactured or disingenuous. I think we can do it. I think the tech is there, but we have to turn on all the bells and whistles, folks. We can't just plug and play. You cannot just plug it, plug it and play it. Amber's next question is what will be the biggest items HR sheds in 2022? I'm going to say it because again, Laura and I were talking about it. HR egos. We have got to get rid of these HR egos on both sides. We spend too much time calling out the bad ones and thinking we're doing everything right when we're not. We all have our areas of mistake. And then we also have those that just continue to go down the way we've always done it. We need to shed those HR egos. None of us are perfect and we're all just out here trying to be better. Let's just continue to build that community, crowdsource what you need, provide feedback, provide information. Don't just throw it out. That's where I'm going to go. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. And I think that's an excellent point. I think more practically or tactily, I'd say paper. The yes. fact that we continue to do paper, yeah, paper, everybody has access to something. And if they don't, everybody's got a, something at work, a blanket statement. But for the most part, you, know, you have access to these pieces of equipment. And the fact we're still having people fill out paperwork, many of them don't write legibly. I'm terrible. My handwriting is terrible. So I'd hate to have somebody try to read it. If I, I can told, vouch for you know, that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I try to write handwritten notes. People go, oh, it's so nice. I know you can hardly read it, but I try. <laughs> I, w- I would love to see, going back to that point of using tech, let's use tech in those ways to streamline processes and procedures yes. to be able to spend more time on the people side of it and the people touch. Use tech in the way that it's meant to be used. I'm working with some low-skill positions. How do we help them as well to maintain high touch with them? That's one of our challenges in 2022 and something I'm looking forward to working on. So people who don't have a cell phone, people who don't have those things, how do we help them? That's what I'm hoping for. Final question from Amber. How has your podcast changed over time? I think we could do an entire episode about that. (laughs) The technology has changed. We've changed audio platforms at least three times. The length of the podcast has changed. As I've said before, I used to be very worried about being more than 30 minutes. And as people kept listening, I thought, oh, well, maybe if somebody does tell an interesting story, I don't have to chop it up so much. The audience has changed. The global expanse has changed. The scope of guests has changed. I don't know what hasn't. Other than you and me and our tenants, kind of the the three drivers of this show, me opening, us closing together, (laughs) everything else... (laughs) Everything else has changed. And I think we've done a good job of keeping up to date with what's happening and what's going on. We're not waiting around to see, oh, we're dying on the water. We've got to change something. So staying innovative, staying up to date with what else can we do, I think has helped that too. Kyle Cup, 
submitted quite a few questions, which we appreciate, Kyle. <laughs> Our show, we're not asking yeah, them all. Yes, that, that is true. <laughs> the first one, though, what are the biggest misconceptions today about the employment relationship? Starting off with the hard ones. All right, fine, Kyle. I feel like we still have a lot of old school ideas about that employment relationship where it is more paternalistic. There's not a lot of give and take. I tell you what to do. You do it. You have no outside life. I'm paying for you to be here for these eight hours. I think we still have some of that. And fortunately, I do believe it's dying and we're seeing more innovative people first leaders coming out and speaking out about it. I'm going to go with the fact that we still have that paternalistic relationship of employee employer. One of the things that I see that's frustrating is that there's an expectation that you should be everything to everyone. And I think that's on both sides. I think that's employee and employer both. Not everyone, of course. I think there are people that just have certain expectations and, and that's not healthy. A job is a job is a job. To your point, we have lives. We have careers in this industry of, of human resources, but it's a job, people. And guess what? It's important to have gainful employment to take care of your family and your needs or whatever whatever you have that you need to take care of. But at the end of the day, widgets are widgets are widgets. I really struggle with that sometimes, that there's that expectation that sometimes employers have of, you know, again, we can't be all things to all people, nor should you be. As I've said multiple times, not everybody wants to or can work for a Google or an Apple or a dot com right. of some type. You're in healthcare. I'm in construction. There's tech, but it's not campuses with barbershops and concierge right. services and air bikes and hoverboards and God knows what else people have that we haven't heard about. I really struggle with that idea, though, that people want to be or that the employee thinks, well, they got to give it to me now. In those places where you're kind of considered a 24-7 operator, I get that. But boy, if your point earlier about the eight-hour deal, I would really like to see people get away from that notion. The loyalty and all that stuff, we've heard it before. Companies aren't loyal. No. Well, guess what? If your management changes and you're not happy with new management, you probably aren't going to hang around. It's the people. It's not right. about the business. You love making those widgets, you'll get over the boss. We know that doesn't happen. All right, John. Hard question for you. Which do you like more? LinkedIn or Twitter? Twitter. <laughs> I'm a Twitter gal too. I don't hate LinkedIn as much as you do, but you're also better at using it than I am. I don't hate anything, Wendy. I will say I don't <laughs> hate it. LinkedIn has morphed over the years. All these platforms have morphed, but LinkedIn morphed particularly when they opened up LinkedIn Editor or whatever it was called to let anyone and everyone with a keyboard write. Ah, yes. And many people should not write. And I'll never forget... There was a jackass that wrote this thing about leadership and HR leadership. And it was one of the dumbest things I've ever read. And I'll just say it was dumb. <laughs> but I wrote a very measured response because I have worked for HR leaders that grew up in HR and I've worked for HR leaders that came out of operations and supply chain and IT. It's really about the person that leads and who they put around them to build their leadership team. That guy wasn't smart enough to understand that. <laughs> His position was a position of ignorance. When you can type whatever you want and hit publish and everybody sees it, that's my issue with LinkedIn is that it's not, it, it's just not the same. And you remember this, and I'm going to tell this story because it does speak to LinkedIn. One time I told Wendy, I said, I'm going to post a picture of Deadpool and I guarantee it gets more likes, responses, and anything else than a legitimate HR article, a post about the podcast or whatever. And guess what? It did. A picture of Deadpool clapping, I like Deadpool a lot, 
why is Deadpool on LinkedIn getting more connection than me posting about a relevant topic, a podcast about what we do, something? Right. Deadpool, people, that irks me. Twitter wins every day of the week on all the platforms. But Wendy, what advice would you give to someone who wants to work in human resources? I think the best piece of advice I could give someone who thinks they want to work in human resources is don't get into it because you think you like people. There are much better jobs to have to do if you like to work with people and you think you want to help people, not psychologists, we're not social workers. Do it because you want to improve a process or you care about the employer-employee relationship or you think that we can do better for our employees I think those are much better reasons to go into HR than because you like people. One thing I would say, if you're not attending school or you don't necessarily have the ability to perceive it from an educational standpoint, make sure that you're talking to people, get involved, just like we got involved on social media to connect with HR peers, connect with HRP. And we've seen that, Wendy, firsthand. We know people that have gotten into new jobs or gotten into the industry altogether because they had an interest. Maybe they had a little bit of education, but they connected with people. They made themselves available. They asked great questions. They were out there hoofing it. And I think there's something to be said for expressing that interest. And also, if you want to work in HR, make sure you you learn the business of whatever it is you're going to go into. Don't just be compliance police. That is not going to get you very far anymore. It's not, not say it's not important to understand the laws. Please don't read it as that, but it is important to understand what widgets you're making or delivering or putting in people, whatever it is that you're doing. Understand that. It's a great place to be. Make sure that you've spent time to research it and talk to any anybody and everybody you can talk to and be purposeful about it. Don't just call me to talk. We both open up our calendars. We talk to people. There's purpose. Usually there's a purpose on our end, uh, you know, to right. uh, just to get to know people, <laughs> but also to figure out what we want to do here. But on the flip side, if somebody wants to talk to me, if it's just to talk, if it's somebody I know, it's one thing. But if I've never really spoken to you, I'd like to make sure we have a reason for that 30 minutes we're going to spend together. Who would you want to write and direct a movie based on something you loved as a child? This one's super easy for me. It's Larry Hama, who was the writer on the G.I. Joe comic as when I was a kid, he also wrote about 95% of the file cards that Hasbro put out for the G.I. Joe figures from 82 to 94. I have had the incredible great fortune over the last 10 years to be uh, Mr. Hama's handler for, gosh, at least a half dozen comic book conventions. It is always an experience spending time with him. He served in Vietnam, where he pretty much lost his hearing. He was an actor, was on MASH, was on Saturday Night Live, performed on Broadway, was in a rock band wrote comic books. This guy, <laughs> he's a renaissance man. I never talked to him about G.I. Joe. I talk about everything else under the sun. Larry Hama writing and directing a G.I. Joe, a real American hero, which is why it'll never happen because the G.I. Joe content that is put out there now is international because you're selling to the foreign market. You're not selling to the States. So that's super easy. And Larry actually appears in the latest Snake Eyes movie, which was terrible. But he does get a great, he gets a great <laughs> shot. It's a panning shot where if, if anybody has seen it, there's a scene in Tokyo in the rain and there's an older gentleman with a clear umbrella walking down this alleyway. And that's Larry Hama in the movie of characters that he created out of his own mind. This is much harder for me because a lot of the stuff that I loved as a child has been done pretty well recently. I can remember watching Spider-Man and his uh, Amazing Friends. 
Is it Amazing Friends? Yes. So maybe they need to bring in some of the Amazing Friends to the latest Spider-Man stuff. I don't know. I really couldn't come up with anything of who I would want to write and direct because I don't really have like a favorite director or favorite writer either. I don't know. I think things are being very well done now. And that's probably a lot to do with the technology that exists to be able to get some of the, the fantasy stuff together. Having said that, no one yet has done a really good version of the Ramona books. Oh, yeah. There was one Ramona and Beezus. Yeah. Wasn't um, uh, uh, Selena Gomez? Selena Gomez yeah, years ago. In it. And so I don't know if it was, you know, the nostalgia factor for me that I was just kind of meh on it. But I'd love to see somebody try try Ramona and Beezus again. I don't know who, though. I don't know who. How about the best season of television? Ah, uh, this was a hard one because I'm guessing he wants like a full season. I don't know if he wants like a like multiple TV shows or what. I'm gonna say seasons two through six of The Simpsons were awesome. There's a lot of classic episodes. There's a lot of great, well done episodes in those seasons. I'm disappointed that they are. The Simpsons continues to be on because I think they've lost a lot of the magic that they had back in those early seasons. Think of some of those classic episodes from, you know, Lisa gets her saxophone and Mr. Lisa goes to Washington. I think there's just some really great, well done writing, acting, animation that happened in those seasons. When was the monorail show? What episode was that season? What season was that? That's a, it's it it's got to be in the because it's got to be in that first. Five it's or six. it's in I know it's in those yeah. because but that yeah monorail 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 I mean is just and Phil Hartman I mean losing Phil Hartman was was so hard for that show even though he's you know he was gone he's been gone for a very 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 long time now. I thought a lot about this. I had to get it down to two different shows with the same actor playing police officer. One is Justified, season two of Justified, and season one of Deadwood. The writing on those shows is brilliant. The storylines are unbelievable. For years, I never watched dramas, Wendy. I think you may know that. Yeah, but I didn't yeah. watch dramas for years and years and years. But Timothy Olfont, first of all, the man is beautiful. But, oh, he, yeah. but he knows how to play. And then when he was a space policeman in The Mandalorian, whoo! But anyway. That was a great episode. Yes, it was. That was a but, great episode. But I think episode. series, like just series... That first, I don't know if you've ever watched Justified, but that show, growing up in Kentucky, every once in a while you'll see a palm tree in the background, which knows you mean they didn't film it there. But the dialects, <laughs> they get so much of that right. That show oh, is amazing. Thanks. So anyway, that first season of that first season of Justified, or I'm sorry, rather the second season of Justified, the pot growing family, and then the the first season of Deadwood, because that show is Shakespeare. The writing on that show is with really bad words in it, and I'm and I still yeah. say. That at some point when your illustrious local Sherm chapter has the conference at Deadwood, I'm coming and I want somebody to call me those horrible names that works there. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. <laughs> we can make it happen. We can make it happen. Kyle's final question is, how many questions can Kyle ask before you say enough? <laughs> well, obviously how many he did because we took we took a few out. I think Kate still holds the record for the most questions asked. But great job, Kyle. Great questions. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I think that's all that needs to be said. Thank you, Kyle. Michael Malati, how have your own HR rules changed since you started the podcast? Have you utilized anything in your own work that you've learned from your guests? 
I have been fortunate to stay with the same employer. I'm one of the few people I think that's part of this show. Part of the show is guests. Or host. <laughs> like, seriously, like you look over, yeah. I've been really fortunate. I work for a, a really great organization. It's very supportive of me doing this. One of the things that changed, you know, I've started podcasting for the organization. I think I've grown. I've had opportunities to do different things that, that I didn't necessarily do when I started the show four years ago. It's grown and morphed. And as our company has grown, the opportunities to do more training and put together different things that didn't necessarily plan on. The fact that I was marketing with NASCAR and minor league baseball, working with television stations and having conversations where they look at me and go, wait, you're the HR guy. Well, yeah, but I do this other thing. And that's how I've learned about a lot of this other great stuff. So it's been great to parlay what we've learned here into that. I absolutely utilize what I've learned from guests. I've introduced guests to my management. Uh, We've talked to some people about partnering on things. It's great that we've had an opportunity to build, I think, was it Tessa Brown or somebody said we had the best Rolodex or the biggest Rolodex of anybody they knew. (laughs) It really is true. And so, yes, I, I would say, Michael, that my job has morphed just because of what I've been able to learn here and apply there. And then, yeah, I absolutely have been fortunate to introduce people to work with vendors to do different things. It's been great in that respect. How about you? Well, other than the obvious. Obviously I have yeah changed jobs a couple of times since we started, changed companies once, jobs several times. I think the biggest thing though, like you, I'm doing podcasts now for recruitment. I'm working with our sourcing team and we're creating new podcasts creating um, Instagram audiograms for them to use to put out. And then we're also doing some video. So really getting to use the editing and, you know, helping people because not everyone's comfortable doing a video. So the podcast great makes a great option for folks who don't want to sit behind a camera or try and do it themselves on their phone, which actually that's super easy, but not everyone's comfortable with that. So trying to find ways to get content from our staff that we can use if we hadn't done the podcast, I, I, there's no way I'd know how to do it. I could probably, I mean, I wouldn't be interested in it. Not that I couldn't do it, but I just, it wouldn't be an interest of mine because I wouldn't think of it. Shelly Rowe asks, and this is several questions put together, so get, be prepared. <laughs> what was your boldest move professionally? What did you learn from it? How did you find the courage to do it? Anything you would have done differently? And what would you tell someone else that's hesitant to to go for it? I'm going to go with uh, when my husband and I decided to relocate back to South Dakota. I did not have a job when we were looking, when we decided to move. And I was actually thinking about just not working for a while. Happened to, uh, my mother-in-law saw a job at the local university. I applied for it and actually got the job offer my very last day of employment at my old employer. Perfect timing. But that also, that maybe that was the pivotal moment that said I was staying in HR because I was considering leaving at that point. And then here it happens. For me, it's, uh, this sounds so floofy, but trusting the universe, put things out there. And um, if it's, and not necessarily if it's meant to be, it's meant to be because there's a lot of work that goes into making what's meant to be happen. But at this point, no, I wouldn't do anything differently. Uh, you see it all the time on Twitter, put things out there. And a lot of it is just being vocal about it and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And you will get, you'll get your cheerleaders that will, will help you walk through it. Don't hide it. If you want to take that big leap, people will, will surprise you with their encouragement. Um, And saying that from an HR perspective and from the ice cream business perspective, because the more I've been talking about that, things move, uh, have been moving quicker 
as much fun as it might be to write those um, cryptic tweets or Facebook posts, something amazing is about to happen, I can't share yet, share it. Tell us about it, and we will be your biggest cheerleaders. I thought a lot about this, and I've said before, early on in my career, I was one that literally just went from job to job. They found me or they approached me. Getting laid off eight years ago was the biggest gut punch I could have had at the time. And it's funny, you know, I I don't think I've made a lot of moves professionally, but I think creating this is probably the boldest thing I've done. We didn't have any expectation. We didn't know. But what was going to happen? Were they going to throw us in podcast jail? Were they going to throw us in HR jail? We just decided to do it. I've learned more than I could go on for hours about it. How did I find the courage? I just decided, I'm like, why not? I think what we had found was that you may say one thing, I may say it differently. Three other people that have been on this podcast say it all. We Five or six people, 100 people, 1,000 people all say it differently. It takes one person for it to resonate with to have power. I wouldn't have done anything differently. I'm glad I asked you. Maybe that was the boldest move was saying, hey, would you do this with me? <laughs> I can't see doing it by myself. I don't see having have done had started it or necessarily maintaining it. If you're hesitant, it's on you. Think back to what what is the loss? We have friends that are passionate about speaking and presenting and doing cool stuff at events. And we like doing cool stuff at events. But we've said from the beginning, we're not going to go in the hole to do those things. Set an expectation for you. You're like, I'm I'm willing to do this. I'm able to do this. But guess what? Recognition doesn't pay bills. I'm not saying, please, if you've never spoken before, don't expect to get paid day one. That's not the case. Okay? Find those little opportunities. If it is too big, think about three or four things that are smaller and do those first. Get some small wins under your belt. The podcast, it was, okay, let's practice and then record one and then record another. and then, Okay, and then all of a sudden we had five or six. Now we can launch. Okay, and then we thought, well, we could do this, we can do that, or this doesn't work real well, or hey, the audiogram thing. We tried audiograms. It didn't really work for us. I think to me that was the, the move, and it was just yeah. why not? Because like you said, I kind of trust the universe, and if it happens, great. And if it doesn't, I had fun. I had fun while it lasted. Exactly. Our favorite Canadian, uh, Melanie Peacock, asks, what have you learned from your biggest failure? What lesson would you share with others based upon this? I think what I learned from my biggest failure, I didn't plan well with not having a plan. When it fell apart, I really didn't know how to what the hell to do. I came to a lot of realizations, and, and this was in a job where I'd first gotten into leadership, and I had basically had a mutiny on my hands. I was fortunate to have a leadership team behind me that was supportive, but I didn't walk in with a great plan. I was not well prepared for some of the things that happened. And I wasn't willing to that old first earlier question about being bold. I wasn't willing to stand up and say, you know what? I'm in charge and this is how it is. I just didn't do that. I kind of let, oh, you know, and was a little more milk toast, let it happen. And I let, I let people run all over me and I failed hard. I failed real hard. I was fortunate though, that I was able to have people behind me to kind of prop me up and say, John, we're giving you that space to fail. And they didn't just demote me and take me out of the job got a plan, whatever it is. If it's getting married, if it's looking for another job, if it's starting a podcast, if it's building a Star Wars collection, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> I, I think for me, blame doesn't matter. It's easier and faster to, whether you're responsible or not, to just say, sorry, this happened here. Let's fix it and, and just dive in and, and fix it and, and not worry about 
who needs to be responsible. And obviously this doesn't fit in every situation. There are some times that somebody needs to be held accountable, but for most work things, an email got missed, you know, something, Hey, sorry, it happened. Let's fix it. Let's here's what we're going to do from here on out. Get everybody moving forward. We don't need to spend a lot of time on who did what and why it didn't work for the most part. Sometimes it's just easier to move it on. The other Melanie we know, Melanie Hellman, asks, what is the scariest thing you've ever done and why did you do it? What made you do it? Uh, I went on a spinny ride with my daughter because she wanted me to go with her. It was one of those spin around, spin around, spin around. You know, um, I'm not a ride person. I'm not. I'm not a roller coaster person. I'm not anything. That was the ride I agreed to go on because she wanted to go on one of those rides. She loved it and I still hate it. I have zero tolerance for roller coasters and I worked at a theme park. Oof. And one of my jobs was to walk the tracks at the end of the day, literally walk up and down hills and through tunnels oh. and all that stuff. But we also had to test the rides in the morning. That was scary for me, but I could say it was my job. And we were the testers, yeah. which also taught me enough as to why I would never get on another roller coaster and other theme parks. <laughs> you start to learn in our particular park, we were not mechanics. Where in some places, not only did you operate the rides, but you actually knew how to do basic mechanical oh. work on them. Well, that wasn't us. We basically had to wait for somebody else to come do it. My stomach doesn't do well with those. And yeah. Megan Youngkin, what is one unpopular opinion you each hold? I think mine would be that the Ghost Rider movie series is really good. And mine is Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Oh! <laughs> oh, it took 190 episodes to break my heart. For those who wish to observe Die Hard as a Christmas movie, I will not persecute you for that. In my house, it is not a Christmas movie. <laughs> Chris Hadley asks, if you teamed up to do a podcast in an alternate universe, what's the name and what's it about? Well, it's called Super Friends, and it's about superheroes. We, we interview superheroes. It's a universe where superheroes are real, and we interview them in a similar podcast to the HR Social Hour, but it is our super friends. Before you ruined me with your unpopular opinion, I was going to say we did a <laughs> diehard minute-by-minute breakdown. All right, gang, coming next year, John and Wendy dissect Die Hard, scene by minute by minute. Hey, if they do it with Star Wars, we can do Die Hard Minute. Die Hard is a great movie, and only Die Hard. I don't like any of the other, I think the other ones are weird. Alan Rickman, oh, love him. Tom Daniels has a couple of questions for us. If you could turn back the clock and study something different, what would it be? Radio, television, film, production. I, I don't know. Maybe history. I do like history. I would probably end up in the same spot because I don't want to be a high school teacher, but yeah, I liked history, but I, I liked English as a major too. If you didn't live where you do now, what would be your preferred location? Uh, somewhere in the mountains. Uh, that was one of the things I loved about Billings. Any particular mountains or just mountains in general? I like the Rocky Mountains. I think most people are where I'm from, the Louisville, Kentucky area. My mom was one of seven. My sister and I are the only two grandchildren that don't live within about a hundred mile radius of the area. It'd be nice to be home. I do still have a lot, a lot of family there. I always enjoy visiting because it's a lot like Richmond. If you were going to be on a desert Island and could only take one item, what item would you take? A boat. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. 
I hadn't thought about that. Cause I, I think this came up on the podcast. Well, it was, it was about what music or something. It was like a yeah. luxury item. It was a luck. Chris luxury, Taylor luxury it was a luxury item. I'd say a mirror. So at least have somebody else to look at. I don't know. Signal the planes. My husband actually asks this as, as part of some of his get to know you classes, what TV series, what sort of thing like that. Um, and his answer is always mash because there's so many episodes. It would take a while to get through it. So I don't know. Now you'd probably take The Simpsons, because there's more of those. You are a contestant on Shark Tank. What product are you pitching, and which investor investors do you want to work with? I hate to disappoint Tom. I don't have any idea, because I've never watched one minute of that show. <laughs> I guess the product I sell is our podcast. That's what I'm always pitching. Other than that, I, I think Mark Cuban's on that show. I don't I even know. I just going to say Mark Cuban's on the show. So I will pitch my ice cream to Mark Cuban and he can go. sell it at, at, at the Maverick Games. There it is. There we go. There it that's, is. That's ours. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to do this one because this the, these next two questions are really for you. Right. So Jane Murtaugh, thank you, Jane, has asked, what is the story behind John and Bananas? I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. I'm a fan of a lot of comedians. And I love the term bananas. I just think it is a great term if it's not a curse word it's bananas like i can say stuff is bananas and people kind of know what that means and you remember when we were kids there was bananas magazine that you could get from the scholastic book fair bananas been around a long time i got to be known on my other podcast star joe's that is not at work star joe's i would always talk about stuff being bananas all the time and our listener we call him the number one star that's gonna be bleeped out but star <laughs> one would always say, I love it when you say bananas. And the other guys just thought it was funny. I just, it's just part of my vocabulary. At some point, I'm not sure what happened in the last, well, during COVID, when I started getting back into toy collecting, I started finding banana figures, these Peely from Fortnite. <laughs> I've never played one beat of Fortnite. I couldn't tell you how it works. I know it's a fighting game, but I started buying Peely figures, the bananas things just grew and grew and grew. So then I was fortunate enough to be able to commission my friend Greg Shegel to make the banana sticker, which is me basically looking like a Chiquita label. I think it's just my way of saying it's something crazy, funny, bananas, and it's stuck. Now it's my thing. How many toys are in your collection? Are they all in their original packaging? And how are they displayed? My collection is in three waves. There is the collection I had as a kid from the 70s into the 80s. And those things are loose. Most of that stuff is boxed up in my attic. Star Wars, or not really many Star Wars, more G.I. Joe and Adventure People from Fisher-Price, which was the second greatest toy line ever made. In the 90s, when I was dating my wife and I was in grad school, I got deep into NASCAR. I was really into racing and I started buying die casts. So I have all kinds of Dale Earnhardt memorabilia. I was a huge Dale Earnhardt senior fan for those of you that no, there were two at one time. Rest in peace, Dale. Really into that. So I have a pretty good sized collection of die casts that's boxed in tubs upstairs in my attic. Ten years ago, I started collecting comic book artwork. And that's all in sketchbooks and on pages. And Wendy even has some original artwork that I get from my friends for her. But I was collecting comic book artwork. Well, then the third wave of my toy collection started last year during COVID when I stopped going to comic book conventions. I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I bought my first wrestling figure. Somebody I liked, I thought he was funny, and I saw the figure, and I'm like, this is cool. Okay, yeah, well, that was a slippery slope. And then they announced G.I. Joe was coming back, and they brought back G.I. Joe in a six-inch version, and then Star Wars, and then 
I can't tell you how many I have. It is obscene. The stuff is basically stacked on a shelf. I'm waiting for the point when I get one of my sons to move out so that I can then have my man cave for not just recording, but I will have all my stuff and it will be figures, artwork, anything I have going on. Jane's last question is for Wendy. What is your favorite Girl Scout cookie? How many boxes have you sold in your lifetime on your own and then with your daughters? All right. So my favorite Girl Scout cookie is actually discontinued. It is called the Lemonade, and it is a crispy lemon cookie with a lemon frosting on it. They've made a poor substitute copy of it. I do love do love Thin Mints and um, peanut butter patties and, and all of those as well. Um, and actually was very excited because I found like three boxes in the freezer a couple weeks ago. So yay, we still have cookies. I have no idea how many I sold when I was a Girl Scout. I lived in a very small town, so I don't think we sold very many. With my daughters and as a Girl Scout leader, they get between 600 and 700 boxes of cookies sold each year each of them. And then I have actually have most of Jesse's troop, actually not most, all of Jesse's troops cookies come through my house. And so we had, oh, probably last year, I think it was almost $15,000 worth of cookies come through my house. And this year our troop has doubled in size. We absorbed another troop in with ours. So we have 17 girls. Wow. I'm not looking forward to cookie season. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of cookies in my house. It's fun. I love that my girls love Girl Scouts. So it is, it's worth the effort. It's, it's worth it. Mary Williams asks, what's the best, most meaningful, most cherished gift you have ever received? Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to tell this one and not get too emotional. <laughs> my grandmother lived with us from the time I was born until she passed. I was 18, getting ready to hit 30 years that she's been gone. She died right before Christmas when I came home from college. My grandmother and I were thick as thieves. We did everything together. And it was funny when I went off to college, she apparently, I'd never heard this story until just this year. My mother told me that when I went off to school, she sat in her chair. She lived in our living room. We'd all watch TV in there and then we'd all go upstairs and she had her bed in the back, you know, the back of the living room and she went to sleep on her bed. So when I went off to college, my grandmother sat in her chair and cried for two days. And I'd never heard oh that gosh. story. That was a bit much that I didn't expect. As a music major, I needed a new mouthpiece for my tuba. Before she passed, she had given my mother money for me to have one for Christmas. Oh. And I, I have it here. I keep it on my desk. It is, um, it's still hard to believe, you know, that it's been that long. Who had ever thought that that meant something? But she, she knew that I needed this thing. And it was at the time like $150, $175. And my, my grandmother never had money. She literally yeah. worked as a cook at the school made six bucks a day or something. I mean, my dad paid her for the first two years that she lived with us to take care of me. She said, I'd rather work for you and take care of the baby than work in the kitchen uh -huh. at school. She didn't have a lot of money. And so, yeah, she gave me almost $200 to buy this tuba mouthpiece that I used subsequently for the next 10 years. And uh, it's just on my desk as a reminder of my background and what's important. And, and I think about her often. Aww, I appreciate Mary asking that question because I. That's a great, uh, yeah. yeah, that's a great story. There's probably a few things that would cause the same type of reaction for me. I think one of my favorites is when Maggie was in kindergarten. 
and uh, we were in Montana, the school PTA set up a Christmas shop for the kids to shop in. So the kids could bring money and pick out presents for their family and they would help them wrap them and, and the whole bit. Maggie picked out a necklace for me. It's a reindeer every year at Christmas time. I wear that and remember how Maggie was so thoughtful when she picked out the gifts for us as a little five-year-old going shopping on her own. I love it. Steve Brown had a question for each of us. So for you, Wendy, what superhero do you most identify with and why? Not who do you like the best, but who do you see yourself most like? I know this isn't a superhero, but I'm going to say Mary Jane from Spider-Man because she's just kind of thrown in. She's not the main character. She makes mistakes, but makes up for it and pushes Peter to to be a better person. I'm going to go with MJ. I have like pretty much every iteration of her throughout the Marvel Universe, even back to Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I'm going to go with MJ. Uh, Steve's question for John, what would your wrestling name persona be? And would you be a good guy or a villain? I'm going to change it a little bit and say that I'm not going to talk about what mine would be, but I will say that my favorite wrestler of all time is Rowdy Roddy Piper, who was a villain to the end. He never worked as you know, in, in the wrestling parlance. There's baby faces and heels. Baby faces are good guys. Heels are bad guys. He always worked as a heel and he <laughs> was the best. He was just money. He made money everywhere he was. And in real life, they all have their faults, but he seemed like a genuinely good dude. I listened to his podcast religiously when he died. It crushed me. He was one of the first like uh, celebrity deaths. I was stunned uh, when he passed, and it bummed me out. And interestingly enough, he's one of the few real-life people that was made into a G.I. Joe character. He's actually in my sketchbook. I wouldn't be in wrestling. If I was, I'd be a manager. I wouldn't wrestle. I'd be the guy in the corner, probably be a heel manager and throw stuff in for my, my people to hit the other people in the head with. Well, our final question is also for you, John. Yes. Um, from Tom Horn. Cause I read this and I'm like, I don't know who these people are. So I'm going to, based on the gif, I'm going to assume it's GI Joe. So did Destro and Baroness have an inappropriate work relationship? Thomas is the greatest question ever, but for con- time constraints, I'm going to say, <laughs> no, they did not. Because technically they didn't work together. They're all part of a terrorist organization. It's not a real job. <laughs> if you've survived this long, all the questions we do appreciate everybody that submitted. Yes. And now, as always, it's time for the giveaway. So, Wendy, we got the wheel ready to go. Are you ready to spin it? All right. Let's do it. Here we go. All right, and the winner is Megan Yunkin. Yay! And Megan had a fun question. Thank you for your question. Thank you for submitting. Thanks to everyone that submitted, because, boy, this has been a powerhouse, and we're in the home stretch. Now, though, everyone's favorite part of this time is when (sighs) we read the list. It's the honor roll. It's the snow cancellation days, as I like to do it, because some of you, they know (laughs) the music that I'm going to put under it. It's from when I was a kid. It's awesome. But we now want to recognize everybody that was on the show from January of 2021 up through episode 199. Margaret Spence. Lori Rudiman. Dr. Stephen Cady and Tom Daniels. 
Kirsten Greggs, Paula Harvey and Beth DeLima, John Hyman, Katie Lopez, Robin Schooling, Sharon Green, Talia Edmondson and Tamara Raspberry, Raphael Crawford Marks, Christina Minyard and Jasmine Wilkes, Kamara Tafalo, Josh Rock and Keith Enix, Chris Taylor, Gary Turner, Amanda and Simon Cookson, Gary Cookson, Perry Timms, Megan Yunkin and Tom Horn, Greg Hawks, Gene Hobbs, Katrina Kiven, Jane Murtaugh, Sam Jenigas, Michael Vandervoort and Kayla Mankeo, John Aston, Michael Milady, Lorena Pabon, Chris Orozco, Chris Hadley, Rocky Howard, Sherry Brenton, Mandy Johnson, Tommy Diener, Mary Faulkner, Karen Michael, Jules Breslin, Lee Andres, Minda Hartz, John Baldino, Kyle Cup, Deborah Isaacs Schaefer, Latanya Walker, Kyle Holiday, Julie Turney, Tom Shin, Mark Alphonse, Janelle Rodriguez, Matt Henry. Thank you all. Oh, Just amazing guests, amazing conversations yes. all year. Let's talk sponsors. Because boy, yes. Wendy, that's been one of the amazing things in all this is the continued relationships we get to have there. Mm-hmm. We're going to start off with the first sponsor this year, our friends at Bowling Green State University. Humoriso was actually actually sponsored twice this year. We mentioned bonusly briefly earlier. They did participate in the chats, and we appreciate them doing that. Uh, People Element. First inter- international sponsor with Nikki and our friends over at Hula. And the OG, the original sponsor that started all of our sponsorship life, namely, is back. And twice this year. We mentioned Mike Sippel Jr. and the Talent Magnet Institute sponsored several chats and then even a month this year. We appreciate them as always. And special thank you to Paycor, who is sponsoring next week's episode, episode 200. Thank you, Paycor. We have been incredibly fortunate to continue to work with all these amazing people. We highly recommend if you have an opportunity to connect with them, find out about their products or whatever they have, do it because they've been really helpful to us and helpful to the community and they want to help you. Hope you'll check them out. They're awesome. Every year, Wendy, we talk about who we want to thank. Who do you want to thank this year? Starting out with my family, my husband, my daughters, the dogs for being mostly quiet (laughs) during recording. And to you, John, thank you to you for uh, bringing me along and inviting me along on this. This has been a fantastic ride. I want to thank my family. Many of you are aware we're having, it's been a really challenging year at the Thurman household. Appreciate all the support that they give for me to be able to do this. And Wendy, I thank you. Some of you are aware that earlier this year, I wasn't quite sure what we were going to do with the show. Through a lot of conversations and thoughts, we decided to make changes that we thought would make it what we wanted it to be and continue to be. And I thank you for being my sanity check and a lot of things. And I can't thank you enough for that. 2022 is coming We will tell you that we have sponsors lined up. We're very excited about that for a big part of the year. So look forward to many things there. We have our first sets of interviews in line. Very excited about that. Who knows, Wendy, if we get to see each other, that'll be bananas. It's been much too long. So yes, hopefully 2022 brings in-person events. As always, if you have an event you'd like us at, we would love to come and do live podcasting and create content for your event we're putting it, keep putting it out there. International folks, we would love to come and visit you as well. Webinars too. We would love to work with you. Let us know how we can support what you do um, and introduce you to our community. If you've made it this far, you probably know how to get a hold of us. 
So we're not going to do that tonight. <laughs> I would hope so. If you've done this, you are a champion, and we thank you. And we just yes. continue to thank say thank you. For you. Listening. Look forward to many, many more Wendy. 200. Yes. Wow. It's hard to believe uh, we are there. It is. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for everything and every, anything you do for us. Yes. So for thank the HR all. social hour, one hour, 45 minute, at least uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, John. <laughs> And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect, give back, and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye.